psychological listeners, it's Sue Fletcher Watson here. Um, big thank you to Lou for letting me sneak into the beginning of the episode uh, this week. I wanted to let you know about a conference that we're running, um, which is taking place in Edinburgh on the 13th and 14th of March this year, 2023. Um, though you can also attend online if you're not uh, local to Edinburgh or you struggle to travel. Um, the conference is called It Takes All Kinds of Minds, and it's a conference entirely themed around the concept of neurodiversity and what that means for research and for practice in clinics and schools and homes and communities and workplaces. Um, the rates for delegates are going up at the end of this month on the 31st of January. So if you are interested in this conference, then this is your moment to snap up a ticket. It's two days long. There's five parallel streams of content spanning biomedical to social science perspectives. There are going to be research keynotes from people like Professor Sue Gathercole, who's a previous podcast guest, uh, Professor Sven Bolter from the Karolinska Institute, and Dr. Kathy Ledbitter from Manchester, Professor Pierre Magistretti from Lausanne. And we also have tons of community speakers, for example, Holly Smale, who's uh, uh, an award-winning author and late diagnosed autistic woman, the comedian Rory Bremner, who has ADHD, and uh, Pella Sandstruck, who is known as Mr. Tourette. The conference as a whole actually has more than 60 people speaking and over 100 research posters as well. Um, you can find out all the information about the conference at itacom.org. There's a full program up there. You can also follow us on Twitter at itacom underscore conf um, and uh, retweet our pin tweet. If you want to help us spread the word, we'd be really uh, grateful for that support. Um, and the last thing just to mention is that um, the conference prices are not super cheap because things are very expensive nowadays. Um, but we do have a very large pool of bursary places that are completely free and also 30% discounted places for anyone who has some funding to attend but can't afford the full price. Um, so you just need to email us. The details are on the website to request one of those. So if you'd love to come, but you know you're going to struggle from a funding point of view, then please do get in touch. Um, we're really excited about this conference. I think it's going to be super cool and quite um, innovative. It's also a one-off conference. We won't be running it every year. So this is your chance. So please do check us out, itacom.org. That's I-T-A-K-O-M.org. And thank you very much for listening. And I will let you get back to your regular scheduled content. <laughs> Hi everyone and welcome to episode 7 of season 4 of Psychological. Psychological is a podcast that started during lockdown and it aims to make an evidence-based contribution to conversations about child and adolescent well-being, development and learning and neurodiversity. I'm Dr Lou Thomas, your podcast host. I'm neurodivergent, so I'm autistic and I have ADHD and today I'm speaking to Dr Marie Martel. Marie is a postdoctoral researcher at Royal Holloway University of London who specialises in understanding how the brain controls imagined and real movements performed with the hand or a tool and how this develops with age. And she's on the phone with me today to talk about one of her recent papers, Body Schema Plasticity is Altered in Developmental Coordination Disorder. So, hello Marie, how are you doing today? Hey Lou, I'm great, thanks for having me here today, really happy. 
yeah, I'm really excited to hear about the paper as well. So we'll get straight into it. And first off, I'll start with what you found. So would you be able to tell me what you discovered in this piece of research? Um, yeah, sure. So in this research, I'm investigating developmental coordination disorder, which is the name we use in research for dyspraxia. So dyspraxia is a developmental disorder that involves lots of coordination issues, motor skills, impairment, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And what we found in our research is that in addition to motor impairment, they also have an altered plasticity of their body representation. Mm. So Body representation are um, sort of body maps that you have in your brain mm -hmm. and that needed when you plan a movement. So that means that um, individuals with DCD have some difficulties when they integrate um, information from the environment to the body mm -hmm. and related to the motor difficulties in the experience in daily time. Oh wow, that's really interesting. Is is the like body? Oh, this might sound silly, but is the kind of body schema like a bit like the like homunculus thing or is it not that so like the physical representation of the body and the brain or is it not quite that um it's it's not totally related so it's more um a plastic and dynamic representation really so like when you for instance if you plan a movement let's say you want to reach for a your cup of tea Mm -hmm. If you start with your um, arm on the side of the body, on the side of the body, you're not going to do the same movement that is if you start with the hand on top of your head. Right. So that means that your brain needs to take into account the posture of your body, but also how long is your arm? Uh, do you have a short arm, a long arm? Are you a kid? Are you an adult? So these are all the things that are in, taken into consideration when you plan a movement. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That makes sense. <laughs> Brilliant. So um, what was it motivated you to look at this particular topic? Um, so the one thing is that it's very clear that um, children with DCD um, have uh, motor difficulties that stays during adulthood. Um, there's been many, many studies investigating uh, what type of difficulties and what we can do to try to help them and so on. And also coming from the body representation literature, it is clear that um, the, your ability to use uh, visual information from the environment or for your body, but also proprioception, which is the sense of the body, mm -hmm. um, matters for your ability to perform optimal action. Okay. So the idea here was to say, okay, if you need sensor information for action and people with DCD have action difficulties what about their body so it was it, it is unknown whether uh, dcd people have um, body related deficits so that's why we, we investigated that okay awesome yeah and you found that they kind of did in a certain way so that's really interesting so how did you do the study that you did i'm quite excited to hear about how you work out the body schema thing that sounds really exciting um, so we use a paradigm that has been quite used um, in adults okay. basically what you do is that you ask for uh, a participant to reach for an object with their hand mm. then you ask them to do the same with a tool okay. so we're using a mechanical grabber that extends the, the length of the arm okay then again you ask them to reach for the same object with the hand mm -hmm. So you have hand, tool, and then hand again. And then what you do is that you compare the movement before and after tool use. Okay. 
and you see whether there is a difference. Mm -hmm. And what you see in um, typical adults is that after using the tool, you actually perform your movement as if you had a longer arm. Right. So somehow, because uh, using the tool, when using the tool, you had a longer arm, Mm -hmm. updated that. And then when you switch back to using the hand, you still use you still program your movement as if you were having a longer arm. Right. Then, um, so this was interpreted as um, the tool being incorporated into your body representation that has led to all the embodiment field of uh, studies that you've maybe um, heard about. Yeah, yeah. So we did the same with kids. Uh, So we had one group of children and early adolescents with DCD, Mm-hmm. Uh, one group of um, typically developing children mm-hmm. and prepared them in, ter- in terms of age, puberty, um, how much uh, sport they practice, this sort of things to have really equal groups. And what we found is that um, children with DCD would um, not change the movement the way uh, typically developing kids are doing. So the plasticity of their body representation was a, a bit less good. So we did not find the same profile when, when we looked at the movement. Um, yeah, and so that uh, indicated to us that they were um, a bit impaired with body representation plasticity. Okay. But the one thing we found that is really good is that if we looked at the tool use session itself, uh, we found no differences between the groups. So that means that even um, if the children with DCD have motor, uh, motor impairment in their daily life, when using the tool for like a very easy reach and grabbing action, they had um, great performance. They were uh, able to learn how to use the tool. They got better with practice exactly um, at the same rate as typically developing children. So that's also a good thing that uh, tells us how complexity of action matters for for motor impairment so you might be very good with easy skills but then if you need more visual proprioception input or anything then that that's when the struggle is is starting yeah like things like riding a bike quite difficult I think I find riding a bike quite difficult I don't actually have a diagnosed um like I'm not diagnosed as dyspraxic but I definitely have a lot of traits of it and I can't ride a bike I can't, I can't like adjust my where I am or I can't balance myself look where I'm going and do the action at the same time I just fall off <laughs> yeah no I mean that make that makes total sense I mean to to be fair there's also a lot of motor impairment in autism yes but, and yeah. at the moment we're not sure whether it's the same kind that you find in dyspraxia or whether that they're different so yeah. it's definitely something we need to investigate but um, but yeah yeah, might, there might be a big overlap or, yeah, yeah, <laughs> probably is. There's a lot, a, lot, a lot of overlap with a lot of things, aren't there? Yeah. yeah. Would you be able to tell me a little bit more about the sort of analyses that you did to find out your results? Um, yeah, sure. So uh, what we used um, to um, analyse the movement is mm-hmm. called kinematics measurement. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know how, like in big movie production, um, you know they use CGI to mm-hmm. put markers all over your body, and then suddenly they track your expression, your emotions, and your gollum. Yeah. And your, <laughs> yeah. 
egg. That's amazing. <laughs> so here we're using a very similar um, method. So it's actually what led to having CGI was actually the science be behind that and kinematic measurement. Wow, that's really um, cool. It has a much better resolution, obviously. Mm -hmm. What you do is that you just put markers on the fingers and on the wrist of the participants. Or in my case, we put them there. You could also put them on the feet, on the leg, if you're um, studying balance or posture and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, in my case, it was um, finger and wrists. And what you can know then is that you can know when precisely they open the finger to reach for an object, um, how fast they go and sort of things. So you can extract thousands of parameters uh, that inform you on how the movement is performed. So that would say, for instance, um, how fast they go, but when did they reach their maximum speed, um, maximum acceleration, deceleration, what was their trajectory, all kind of um, elements like that. Yeah, that sounds really cool. <laughs> so cool. And, yeah, and then the, what you do is that you can um, compare movement patterns that you observe. So if, typically, um, if you're just reaching for an object with your hand, you will have like a bell-shaped movement. Okay. This is quite stereotyped uh, between adult kids. You always have a bell-shaped movement. Mm -hmm. So then the idea is to compare different bell-shaped movement so, for instance, if you change the size of the object you're reaching for, or if you change the distance of where you reach to, or for, yeah. um, <laughs> and weight of the objects, um, all these things, it will change the shape of the bell. Okay. Maybe it will be now, now more narrow, um, or it could be that uh, the maximum peak is attained is obtained before or after. So it's always about how the amplitudes and the latencies of the parameters change. Okay. Is and that all of the parameters together then for that bell thing, or is does that like reflect speed or something? So the the, the bell is the velocity, and then you have you you map onto that other parameters like acceleration, deceleration, and the idea here is that you need to look how the majority of the parameters move and change between right. conditions. So it's not one parameter will not tell you anything. You have to you have like amplitudes that are all um, increasing, for instance, latencies that are decreasing, this sort of thing. And then you, you just compare two situations. So in our case, we compare the bell shape before and after to use. So, for instance, is that um, all the amplitudes increased, so the kids were faster after to use, mm -hmm. but the latencies were only modified um, in the typically developing group. So the children with DCD uh, modulated less parameters, and that makes us think, okay, there, is, there must be something different with the plasticity because mm -hmm. they're modulating as much parameters and they don't they are not doing it as well as their peers that makes sense that makes sense so what do you think we can learn from finding out that there's maybe less plasticity in children with dld versus typically developing children um so this is actually extremely important because um the body is often neglected uh, mm -hmm. in all this kind of research 
And when when you talk to um, occupational therapists, for instance, what they do is that they they report that you know children with DCD have uh, an atypical body awareness. Uh, they have difficulties with balance, uh, always riding a bike that we were mentioning earlier. Um, so the the proof is here on daily life. Like the clinical side will tell us, yeah, that's obvious. They have body related deficits. But here we are confirming it experimentally. Yeah. And um, so that also really means that if you have a child with DCD, then going to an occupational therapist and working on improving their body awareness and improving um, how they, like what they do with their arms and legs when they walk and just make them aware of their body and trying to to improve their general balance is really helpful. And if we go a step further down, it could even help in theory to improve their general motor skills. Mm. So, I mean, we're obviously at the very beginning of, of that, but it's, it's really, yeah. I mean, the main message is the body is neglected. So take care of your body and that will help with your movement. Yeah, that sounds great. Really interesting. Yeah, nice takeaway point too. <laughs> so um, are you kind of extending on from the project more? Are you doing more research into this or do you have any plans to do any more research into this? Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm definitely um, planning on pushing, working on uh, DCD dyspraxia. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I feel like we know so little about it and there's so many children and adults that are affected by it. Mm. So we really need the science to move forward so then we can, you know, bring more support, improve policies, make change and just raise awareness generally on this disorder. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it is affecting more than 5% of the population, mm. but it is way less known as like autism, for instance, or dyslexia or ADHD. There is way less money for research. Mm. So it's really important that, we're trying to improve that and raise awareness. Yeah. So on a less research um, side, we've started um, a dyspraxia awareness event with um, a colleague from the University of Surrey. Yeah. And in this event, it was a, a month ago, mm -hmm. uh, we presented like, recent findings to the public so then they are aware of uh, where the city research is going but also um, provided resources for support. And we got feedback from the community because it's something that is important. Like what topics does the DCD community need uh, us to look for? Is it a more mental health thing? Is it more specific movement things? So everything that they need us to improve. And um, so, I mean, I find this kind of thing very inspiring and stimulating. Mm. We're trying to make that an annual event that'd be great the idea uh, would be that other universities um join us and so then like in different region of the uk you can have like local antenna with us a, a, a resource resource and support available with like updates on research every year for for the dyspraxia awareness week yeah that sounds great so this is really something that uh that is close to uh, to our hurt and like we really want to uh, to make a difference mm. um, and it's also helps us recruit participants obviously because yeah. we have 
tons of studies uh, that are ongoing with um, people with DCD. Mm-hmm. We're extending on adults as well because there is a huge gap on what is known with kids and what is known with um, adults. So yeah, we're we're extending research on adults and also we're focusing on correcting conditions. Yeah. So as um, as I explained before, um, at the moment when we do research, we're often excluding anyone that is that has DCD plus something else. Mm. It just adds too much variability in our data, or and then we don't really know what is from um, DCD, what is from autism, what is from ADHD. But in practice, and when we, you chat with someone who has DCD, you have like a huge umbrella yeah. of different patterns, different profiles. So it's also equally and even more important to know if you have DCD and ADHD, how does that affect your motor skills compared to if you have only DCD? Mm. Same, with autism, same with dyslexia. So we're really trying to do that now. Mm. I mean, the difficulty is that you need a huge amount of participants to mm. be able to do subgroups. So this has been a bit tricky so far. So during my PhD, uh, I had one study where we compared uh, children with DCD and children with um, autism. Mm-hmm. What we saw is that the motor impairment was different. So even if the on a qualitative level, when you test them for like general motor skills, balance, riding, riding a bike, you find the same kind of difficulties, but the nature of the impairment is different. So mm-hmm. that's that's really the kind of thing we want to know about a more co-occurring disorder and uh, adults as well, because you know we you want to we want to know whether things change when your body is fully grown because a kid has a body that is growing. Mm. So an extra difficulty for body representation. Yes. Adult has a body that is stable in size. So then does that change something with the motor skills and motor impairment? Um, So yeah, lots of fascinating questions to be answered to um, if you ask me. But uh, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Is, Is there like, um, like a website or a page or anything for the event things that you were talking about earlier? Unfortunately, not yet. I mean, it was, yeah, it was the first event. So uh, we're still um, building on the feedback we got and trying to improve things from, for next year. Uh, so there will definitely be a website at some point. We'll advertise it in, a, in the next few months. Right. Um, if anyone is interested into more details for the research or just participating into our study they can just contact me through twitter or email or anything um but uh but yeah at the moment that's uh, that's about it but yeah i'll put all of your details in the description so they'll be able to find you if they want to hear any more yeah the research sounds really interesting and the event sounds really interesting as well so i'm excited to hear about where that goes in future years um the kind of final question we're sort of moving away from it being research related now but the final question is if there are other kind of people that are early career researchers or students that are listening in do you have any advice for them um that's a tough question i'm still an ecr so yeah. you know i yeah. don't know much than all of uh, all of them yeah. um i mean 
first thing I would say is you're doing great. And even if it's tough, um, you're doing a, a great job uh, with all of your research. Uh, so keep doing that. And I think the one thing is that often you can, it can be a bit isolating when you do research because, you know, we're not, money is not high, uh, contract are short, uh, short, contracts are short. Yeah. Um, so, so that can be tough, but as long as the research you're doing is, you know, motivating you and as long as you still like it and you still wake up every day saying, this is what I want to do with my life, then keep pushing, do reach for support in your department with other postdocs and ECRs. So yeah, listen uh, to, you know, this great ECR podcast that you can find and um, just helps you by, by build, it helps you build a sense of community. So it's really important to feel supported. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, feel free to just leave academia if at some point it's just too much for your mental health. It's, it's not the end of the world. I mean, you know, the flexibility is great in this job. I love what I'm doing. But it doesn't mean that if I stop and do something else at some point, I will be less good and less passionate about what I do. Mm, just do what makes you happy. That's the message. And uh, yeah, keep doing that as for as long as you can. Yeah, that's a really good message. I think it's a good message for anyone, not even just people like early career researchers and stuff. That's really good advice. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been really lovely having you on. And I know that we're both probably excited to go and get a really warm cup of tea now because it is a freezing day today. It's really, really cold. The weather's suddenly turned. And as well, thank you so much to the listeners for joining us. And you can find out more about Marie and her work by following the links in the podcast description on Buzzsprout or in your podcast app. And join us again at the same time next week for another episode of psychological bye bye thank you for having us